0: You're listening to The Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 61. This is The Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At The Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing. You should do Well hello everybody, how are you doing this fine day? My name is Scott Wellens and I am your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping real people, guess what, that's you, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor, and today's episode is lessons about your money and your brain. But before we get to the topic, just wanted to let you know I'm fired up again this morning because I led another edition of All Pro Dads at my kids' elementary this morning. And even before that, my daughter came up to me, my first grader, little Eva, and said, I wrote a story about you in class today, Daddy, and I can't wait to share it with you at the parent-teacher conference. And I couldn't take it. I said, Eva, what's the story about? And she said, it's about you and how you do all pro, Dad. And it just made me melt. And it got me thinking, because the topic of the day was words, Because the words we say can have incredible power to build people up, but on the flip side, we can tear people down too. And as an all-pro dad, as a family steward, we want to instill in our children the powerful message that words can have. I mean, words from a father too can have a lasting, powerful effect on everything that we do growing up and beyond. I know a few things that my dad said, and my dad's a man of very few words, but things that he said stick with me or have been with me forever. And because of this, we talked about today during our All Pro Dad session that it's so important that a father intentionally builds up his children, affirms the character he sees in and the and constantly reminds them of his love and we watched a video about this and it was a total tearjerker because it was about a dad writing a note to his daughter who was about to go off to college and he was reminiscing and it was him actually reading the letter as she was looking at it and then they moved away and just showed clips of her growing up the first time he held her the first time she rode a bike all that stuff and how much he loves her. As the video was was ending, I turned the lights back on and I'm telling you, there's, there's 80 people in this room, kids and dads, and I see dads uh, all teared up and stuff because as, as all pro dads or as family stewards, we all hope to be able to leave a lasting impact on our kids and we can do it by, and here is what I told the dads to do, and here's what I'm telling you to do. We can do it through handwritten notes to our children. So I don't care if you have a a kid who's four or 54. I want you to write them a letter, and I guarantee you they will probably hold on to that letter forever. I mean, as family stewards, isn't that what real wealth is all about? We're about to talk about your wealth, your 401ks. We talk a lot about that, but isn't this what the real wealth is? Trying to do everything we can so our kids can live the best lives that they can. That is real wealth. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, lessons about your money and your brain. So there's a guy named Jason Zwag, and I think I pronounce his name wrong. I don't even know. He writes an article in Market Wash, but he also wrote a book called Your Money and Your Brain. It's a long book. He wrote it several years ago. There's been updates, but it is an amazing book. I don't expect you to go out and read it, but I do expect you to listen to this podcast and grab some awesome nuggets to help you and your financial life and there's another guy named ben carlson who who writes a blog uh, and his blog is called a wealth of common sense but he did an article of the money in your brain or your money and your brain and actually listed out a bunch of lessons so i'm going to kind of use that as a guide so i don't have to go through and write out the same thing all over again. And he brings up eight really good lessons from the book. And I'm going to try and go through some of these, but I will post a link to the article on the show notes page at bestinwealth.com, So you can go back and read it if you want. I'm going to go over what I think are the most important points. So, first of all, let's talk about neuroeconomics for a second. Neuroeconomics is the study of how we make decisions using brain activity, which is neuroscience, economics, and psychology. So, think of it as the behavioral finance of our intuition and reactions. This is so incredibly important. And I'm going to read you a quote from Jason Swag right now. And then I'm gonna, we're going to touch on it at the end again. Here's what he says. The best investors make a habit of putting procedures in place in advance that help inhibit the hot reactions of the emotional brain unpacking that what does it mean that really good investors have an investment policy statement i talked about this in episode number 60 when people were freaking out about our new president it helps to have a plan in place ahead of time so when we go through emotional times we have a guide so in the book, Your Money and Your Brain, Jason goes through multiple studies and stories to show us how our brains react to different forms of stimulus, mostly from gains and losses through our investments. And here's the points that are brought up from this awesome book. And I'm going to go through some of them right now. Number one, the brain activity of a person that's making money on their investments is indistinguishable from a person who is high on cocaine or morphine. Wow. You ever hear anybody say that before? But according to To Jason, the brain of a cocaine addict who is expecting to get a fix and people who are expecting to make a profitable financial gamble are virtually the same. And this explains why we tend to get overconfident and greedy with our investments. We want more, more, more. Why? Because of the rush. That's why we want it. And there's so many people today that are taking way too much risk in their portfolio. And eventually, they're going to come crashing down. But right now, they're they're doing it not for the best interest of their long-term plan, but because of the rush that they feel. They don't even know it, but that's what's going on something to think about. Number two, getting exactly what you plan for is basically a non-event for your brain activity. What does that mean? Well, seeing the fruits of your labor should be satisfying. It should motivate people to continue on a path that they are on. But unfortunately, it doesn't do much for our feelings. If we are already planning on something. We need a bigger hit of adrenaline or dopamine to get a bigger fix every time for the same emotional response. And you know what? When we bring that back to your money, this can cause us to increase our risk and use forms of speculation to get that response. How many times do I tell you family stewards need to be investors, not speculators. We need to get off that train no matter how much of of a rush we're getting by picking our own stocks or picking our own mutual funds for just getting that rush. We need to be investors, not speculators. Number three, losses and gains have profound physical effects on the body and brain. Wow, really? Physical effects? Yeah. I'm sure everyone has seen the physical and mental toll that financial stress can have on a person. We know that stress is the number one cause, or I'm sorry, money is the number one stress for 70% of Americans. But you know what? It's euphoric. It's a euphoric feeling when we win money. Even something as small as a, you know, a scratch off lotto ticket, we can actually feel it. And losing produces a horrible feeling in the pit of our stomach that can linger for days on end. The stress from financial troubles can wear on a person's body and psyche for a long, long time. You know, losses feel twice as bad as gains feel good. And speaking of losses, number four. Financial losses are processed in the same area of the brain that responds to mortal danger. So it is literally true that we can relive our financial losses in our sleep. And you know what? This explains why losses hurt so much, more than the gains feel good, the twice as much as I just said. Loss aversion can be a huge problem for our long-term financial health. If we let our mortal danger signal, take over during a a panic in the markets, guess what happens? We sell everything. We can't have that happen. When the market crashes, stocks become cheaper and are a better deal for long-term investors. However, these feelings of panic make it tough for investors to buy stocks because of the after effects. We've seen this play out since 2009 as stocks have made back their losses and then some, but stock ownership continues to decline. We have mortal dangers feeling in our brain. So when we get bitten once by a downturn in the market where we sell, we never want to get back in. And now it's the opposite of taking too much risk. It's not taking enough because we're going to live for a long time. We need growth in our portfolio. There has to be a balance. Number five, The bigger the potential gain, the greedier you feel. This is regardless of how poor the odds are of earning that gain might be. Let's play this out in an example. Our love of gambling and the hope of hitting it big by winning the lottery is an obvious byproduct of the greed that I just mentioned. It's why people buy 10 Powerball tickets to improve their odds from 1 in 175 million to 10 in 175 million. Not even distinguishable, but that faint possibility of a large gain trumps the minuscule mathematical probabilities of actually winning the lottery. I do this the only time I seem to ever buy a lottery ticket is when I hear on the news that it's gone up over $100 million or whatever the number is, and that's when I go buy one. When my odds are the worst, that's when I go buy one. And this also leads investors to invest in exciting growth stocks that are overvalued as the promise of never-ending gains and growth clouds their judgment. We know that one of the dimensions of higher expected returns is value stocks do better than growth stocks in the long run. However, most people decide that they need to invest in these growth stocks because they think that this is where they're going to find their big gains. But oftentimes, they become disappointed in the long run in us who understand the dimensions of higher expected return, know that we're tilting our portfolios into value which is one of the dimensions and not getting caught up in this, in this growth cloud that most other people do. Number six, the anticipation of a gain evokes a much larger response than actually receiving the gain. In other words, money does not buy you happiness. People tend to spend plenty of time planning to buy something expensive and they feel the rush of anticipation of that purchase only to feel let down once they actually buy it. Retail therapy is fleeting it doesn't work. The expectation of both good and bad events is more intense than actually experiencing them. So Jason in his book sums this up nicely and he says, the anticipation of reward is more important for memory formation than is the receipt of the reward. Remember that in your investing. Number seven, our brains automatically and unconsciously expect a third repetition after we see two in a row of something. Hear me out on this. There were tons of studies in the book, Your Money and Your Brain, that looked at the response of subjects trying to make predictions about unpredictable events. You hear me talking all the time. I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody has a crystal ball, but everybody seems to want to make predictions about where the market or economy is heading next. And even though the subjects were told ahead of time that they were looking at the unpredictable, they still thought that they could do it, even If everyone else would fail, everyone loves to try and predict what will happen next in the financial markets or the economy. Most don't realize that as humans, we are very poor at forecasting the future. Study after study after study (laughs) proves this point. This is especially true for those that are the most sure of their forecast. Those are the ones where it usually doesn't play out. And I know I'm talking pretty fast and there's a lot of points I'm going through, but I wanted to make sure that I, I touched on them all because I feel like it's very important that we, we wrap our heads around our emotions and our investing, which leads us to the number eight point and the last one. And listen to this. The happier you are, the longer and healthier your life will probably be and the more money you will likely have. Listen to this quote from Jason in his book who just some incredible insight on this subject. In 1957, the average American earned about $10,000. That's adjusted for inflation and lived without a dishwasher, clothes dryer, TV or air conditioner. But at that time, 35% of people surveyed said they were very happy with their lives. By 2004, personal income had nearly tripled, and this is adjusting after inflation, yet 34% of people now said they were very happy. We went and had our income tripled, yet less people are considered very happy now than in 1957. It all, my friends, all of this comes down to perspective. Most people think they need more of everything, including money and material possessions to be happy. Yet most claim that spending time with family and friends is what makes them happiest of all. Don't we talk about this over and over again? What real wealth is? Your retirement is vitally important. Your retirement savings. And you don't want to run out of money in retirement. That is true. And you want to live out your dreams. You don't want to die with any regret. But let's think about this as we're working 40 and 50 and 70 hours a week, trying to make more and more money. And think about the fact that sometimes slowing down And just enjoying your family and friends, that is what might make you the wealthiest of all. So, I'm gonna say it again the best investors make a habit of putting procedures in place in advance that will inhibit. The Hot Reactions of the Emotional Brain. This is from Jason Zweig, author of Your Money in Your Brain. You know, we spend so much time trying to get just a little bit better percentage in our portfolio. Try and do better than the average person by 1%. Then we look at our expenses and we want to do a little bit better than the average person and, and save another percent there. But let me tell you something. That is very important to do. But at the end of the day, that's not going to make a hitle of beans difference if you make one or two bad emotional decisions when you're retired with your money. That'll blow everything up because you know what? You're going to end up having way less than trying to eke out this extra 1% because your whole plan will get blown up. If you make emotional decisions about your money and if you think that could be you, because guess what? That's most people make sure you can find a certified financial planner that you can trust that can be objective about your money, because at the end of the day, you need somebody that can help keep your emotions intact during times, times when a new president is elected, times when we go through these troubles of recessions. And it's a whole lot different once you're retired, because you can make up for losses when you're still working, you're still contributing. But when all you rely on is your army of dollars after you're retired, man, the emotions really start brewing. Just make sure you're ready for it. Hey, everyone, Thank you for listening to this episode of Best in Wealth. If you need anything, you email me, scott at bestinwealth.com. And until next time, hey, i see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.